So as promised, uh, we're going to get here into the second part of my conversation with Jordan McNamara. And as you guys saw, I really wanted to dive into the process that he had worked through for creating his book and just some general thoughts on the combine. And we continue on and that kind of transitions into our discussion uh, about consistency and some of the other topics that he covers in his book. But I won't spoil it for y'all. How about you guys just go ahead and listen to it. So I'll shut up and y'all go ahead and take a look. But thanks again for listening and uh, go follow if you're not following Jordan McNamara or go check out his book, Analytics of Dynasty, uh, analyticsofdynasty.com. But check it out. And here are your authors, Chris Allen and Adam Wilde. I like that. I, I, I like that, uh, I guess, approach to building a roster. And yeah, I do agree that I think when it comes to the consistency conversation, there has to be some, I guess, some context to it, because I think there, there are layers to it. Because I think a lot of folks, at least from what I've what I've come to understand, is that the, the basic idea behind consistency is that, uh, let's say, for the wide receiver position, that you want guys that, like you mentioned earlier, the Jarvis Landry's, the Larry Fitzgerald, the Julian Edelman's. I mean, essentially, you're talking about slot receivers at that point, mm-hmm. like more or less, as you're looking at guys that are going to get you, let's say, six, seven, eight targets a week, maybe 70, 80 yards, possibly a score, depending on like, you know, their matchup or whatever. And that's what you want. Like that's, that was the, you know, that was the narrative behind consistency. But if I can mix that, if I can get a player like that, great. But if I can mix that with a Mike Evans, like a true alpha wide receiver that, yeah, I think from a, and also from a consistency standpoint, year over year consistency, Uh these are guys that are putting up. 1200 1300 1400 yards you want those guys like on your roster too so i think it's understanding like what consistency actually means mm-hmm. like what the, what the differences behind consistency can be and especially across the different positions i mean that makes a whole lot of difference when you're just talking about guys that again the the i guess the narrative that i continually continuously see pushed is that well i just want to set it and forget it guy I'm just going to draft a guy that I know that I can put him in regardless of draft capital and he's going to get me my whatever. I mean, set your threshold for consistency here. 15 points a week. I'm good. And that's all I got to do. And I don't think that a lot of the, I guess, the the background information or the metrics behind that or uh, I guess the production behind it is really taken into account. It's just the idea that they could be consistent week in and week out. That's all some uh, some owners need in order to mark a player down as consistent, and then they want to acquire that player regardless of price. And it's just it's just odd to me. Yeah, and and so like I, I because I was interested in like the because I I sort of come at this thing. I'm like not setting out to be contrarian. Like I don't want to you know I don't want I I don't set out like saying oh, I want to flame everyone, but. If you can find things that people believe that aren't true, like there's value in that. And so, and, and, you know, I just looked at all play record. Like, let's just look at all play record um, because MFL has got this great data, all play record. And let's just compare it to points scored. Like, just tell me how many points they scored versus what your expected win per random, you know, your essentially your luck independent record would be. Mm -hmm. And the R squared on those two things, 95%. So 95% of your all play record is dictated by how many points you, you average, right? So just, just think about that for a second. 95% of what your record, what your, what your all play record will be is explained simply by how many points you score. Um, That 5%, 
right? There's multiple things that can explain that. It can be your variance. It can be your opponent's variance, right? It can be mm-hmm. just, you know, but if you just say, okay, it's those two things, right? It explains, um, you can just divide it in half. It's two and a half percent, right? Yeah. And so, um, you know, it's more complicated than that probably, but ultimately, like, if we're going to debate about, you know, what, you know, give me the thing that's 19 to one more impactful, right? In terms right. of scoring yeah. points than, than the allocation of how those points are. And I think the easiest way to think about it is, and honestly, like if you like insert your boom bus wide receiver here, right? Like give me, I don't know, give me like, all right, Amari Cooper, you know, Mike Evans. And the third guy that everyone wants to say is, I don't even, I'm not, you know, I don't know who it is this year, but, but just take another guy. If you sort of randomly, you know, just just throw them out in terms of how mm-hmm. they end up scoring, like they'll probably, you know, either they're going to stack up on the same week that you are at and win you a game, right? But there's going to yeah. be a fair chance that one of them's going to have an up game and one of them's going to have a down game, right? If each of if if they're each having eight top twenty four weeks, like there's a fair chance of, and maybe it's a little bit less than that, but. You know, mm-hmm. there's a fair chance that they're going to be um, on opposite weeks and they sort of create, uh, you know, the, the volatility of the position sort of stacked together. It does. It's it doesn't make it more volatile. It actually makes it less. Is sort mm-hmm. of the way I think about it. And so I, I don't you know, when you stack together uh, a bunch of assets that are sort of all over the place. Uh, they sort of they sort of uh, it's you know they're high you know they'll hit when one's high and one's low and it'll sort of almost create a floor and and it and what i found it it doesn't really matter the ordering or the grouping of the scoring um it, it impacts you know give me give me the player that's going to score the most points i'm going to put yeah. him in my lineup and i'll just extract that value when the chips will fall where they may Right. Now, give me give me the good players, like the guys that are going to be consistently getting uh, the, I use the word probably, but uh, they're consistently getting that high level of market share, that wide receiver one market share. And then we can go from there. I guess that was going to transition to my next question is that if you're going to be trying to aim for some of those players that you want to embrace that volatility and versus trying to hunt for a consistent asset does that has that changed your draft strategy like either in a startup redraft i mean whatever the case may be i mean how does that change your draft strategy when you're trying to acquire players like knowing what you know about consistency and trying to i guess I harness that volatility. Yeah, so that's a great question. Um, just to p- close the loop on that last conversation, I put a Twitter poll out earlier this week, 634 respondents. Basically, it was a question of, would you take the top six, you know, the, the wide receiver six who scored more points than the wide receiver 12, or would you take the wide receiver 12 that scored his points more consistently? Um, and 65% took the wide receiver six, but 35% of the people took the negative EV thing. Well, still that many. And wow. so, and, and like you look at that, that's, that's probably about uh, two tenths of a win over replacement is historically mm-hmm. what you'll about see. And just think you're, you're seeding that, right? Because it feels good is essentially mm-hmm. what you're doing. I mean, it's a, it's right. a cognitive bias. Um, and so I, you know, you have to be, you know, I'm, I'm cold and calculated and that's probably somewhat due to my educational background. It's just sort of how I'm <laughs> clinical and how I look at these things. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm sort of able to dev- devoid myself of that. How do I go about strategy wise? I mean, I want guys that have, you know, in a startup draft, I'll, I'll not per se try and compete in year one. That doesn't mean I tank, um, but I try and, you know, I think there's value in building long-term um, because I think, you know, I think we play dynasty, but I don't think owners really 
play the long patient play is actually a contrarian play. Uh, and so I'm willing to take guys that are, um, you know, that have a high level of sustained success at wide receiver over, over the elite running backs, because I think that's, you know, honestly, like the, the, if there's anything in dynasty that I've learned in this process, it's that the, the, besides consistency, the other myth that's most prevalent is that wide receivers, um, that that wide receivers retain their value more than running backs do like later in a draft. There's this theory I think that that a lot of people have have talked about is that you know wide receivers you, you want to roster a lot of wide receivers because um you know they're they retain their value better than running backs. Well, that's true in the top 5 rounds of a startup draft. And if you're sure. talking about super flex like you know maybe kick that out, you know 15 20 picks something like that. Um sure. you know you're looking maybe around 75 overall, but anytime outside of that like later than that in a draft, that's just not true. Historically, not true. And not only do they not retain their value better than running backs, they produce worse than them. So you're basically, so I come at it as every time I have to draft a wide receiver over running back, I'm losing value. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know that the least time, you know, the, the closest it's ever going to be is early in a startup draft. Um, and I would argue that, that they're, it's it's about equal early in a startup draft in terms of uh, in terms of you know warp and and hit rate and those sorts of things for for wide receivers, and so if you take wide receivers early, it's going to give you a it's going to give you these especially guys that and I've really focused on this probably in the last six months especially is guys that have already hit um, okay. and not take. You know, like uh, I'm avoiding guys that, you know, Nikhil Harry is nice, but you got to be really, really careful of that cost. Right. For example. Um, and so I'll, you know, give me a guy like in his mid twenties that is hit. Um, and, and I'll use sort of that to build my, to build my roster. And then, mm-hmm. um, outside the top, you know, if it's a start one draft outside the top five or six rounds, and then if it's in you know, a super flex, you're going a little bit later than that. Cause you got quarterbacks in there. Um, but you're going really, really heavy at, I go really heavy at running back. Like I try and get two to one. 2x um, as many running backs as wide receivers because again you there's a lot of backups in there but the backups right when they it's really easy to pick the one or two weeks that they're going to play right mm-hmm. it's really easy to know like last year in rookie drafts it was really easy to say all right if if alexander madison's a really simple calculus any week that delvin cook doesn't play I'm probably going to put Alexander Madison in my starting lineup, assuming he's healthy. Um, And so, you know, those guys in those, those profiles, especially when there's pedigree involved, like when, when those guys are day two guys um, and you have to be careful that they don't get overblown in terms of costs, like Daryl Henderson last year. Um, But when they're, when they're at a a respectable cost, like those guys are really valuable Um, and they tend to peak in year two and then year three. Right. So, um, so I, I try and stack up those guys, give me as many backups as I can, because, you know, with the hit, with the, the injury rate at running back, I think the Josh Hermsmeyer at Rotovis did some really good work a few years ago. And it's, it's been a foundational part of my dynasty analysis. Um, and he said, it's, I think it's about nine of the nine or 10, between nine to 10 running backs uh, a year coming into the season in terms of top 24 ADP are going to miss four or more consecutive games during the season because of injury. Okay. And if yeah. you sort of think about the implications of that, like, uh, you know, there's, there's a, a, a pretty good, there's about a, I think it's about a 3% shot each week that one of those guys, um, you know, that, that each one of those guys is going to, um, 
has that sort of risk factor in in them it's about a three percent shot and you sort of think about that and you're like oh man you know (laughs) when you sort of add that up and you say all right listen i'm exposed to six of these backfields right where if Mm -hmm. that if that running back goes down i sort of have this high upside uh play coming in behind them right that's that's a high you know that's on the right side of the injury variance. So I, I I sort of build my team like that um, early on, and then if I can catch lightning in a bottle in year one and win, or be really competitive, that's nice. But I'm sort of looking um, into year two and year three to sort of I'll have that allotment of running backs. I'll sort of have those um, good profile running backs. Um, you know, and they come in different, and the backups come in different and different values and and different profiles. But I'll have a handful of the good ones, and then. Um, you know, next year I can sort of backfill, you know, this year I've, I, I think I have like 1.65 uh, first round picks for every, um, for every league I'm in something, it's something like that. Um, and so I can sort of, ba- I'll know in a rookie draft, I can backfill with running backs. So that's sort of how I go about my builds. So I guess that might transition the conversation to future draft picks. So now if you, how do you, I guess, compare, I guess our current draft picks, like for the 2020 versus future, like especially either in a startup or even if we, as you're approaching our 2020 rookie drafts, I mean, is there a way that you can, I guess, compare the two when trying to make the assessment as to whether or not this is uh, you want to use this draft pick for this season, or if you want to try and trade back and then maybe pick up an asset like for the 2021 draft, does it go by, I guess, uh, your feelings on the future class? I mean, are, are you trying to look at it just strictly from like, an analytical perspective and how do you normally do that yeah so this is the, that's a great question um I, I wrote and last year there were so many fascinating things to me in terms of like i didn't anticipate writing another book when i finished the first one but mm-hmm. like the 2019 draft class was so interesting to me that i was like this could be i could write 40 pages on this um just in terms of strategy and everything but one of the things that i found was I actually broke it down. I have I have ADP data um, with some volume to it going back to 2008. So I've got what's that 10, 11 years of, of ADP thereabouts, yeah, and, and 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 rookie drafts and startup drafts. And so I said, you know, well let's let's look and let's just get some ideas on benchmarks and let's just like look and see what you know what what is a you know, what's it mean to be a top three wide receiver rookie pick, for example? What's it mean to be a top three running back and, and sort of look at different tiers? And so I, you know, I break the first round up into three tiers. So I basically take the back half or pick seven through 12. And then I break the first half into two tiers, basically one through three and four through six. And I just want to know, hey, you know, what's my, you know, what's the pedigree look like here? Right. So if I make a pick here uh, and I say, you know, listen, I'm going to take a running, a wide receiver with, you know, uh, 102, you know, what, what do I need in terms of for it not to be a historical loss, right? I need it to be a top 10 pick. So I never understood why Harry, everyone was on Harry at like 101. For example, for me, it was just a clear loss because you were sacrificing so much pedigree, just so much pedigree mm-hmm. in terms of almost a, I mean, he was three, to give you an idea, he's three standard deviations outside the, um, the pedigree of a top three pick, the oh, average man. pedigree of a top, of a top <laughs> three pick, three that. standard deviations. <laughs> oh, um, man. Yeah. Yeah. And so, that like, hurts. yeah, it's pretty wild. And when you think like Des Bryant was like the closest to him, um, and mm-hmm. I think him and Treadwell went like a pick apart and they were a full standard deviation away where Harry was. And, De- and the only reason Des fell was off field. Right. So, 
when you sort of think about those things, you're like, okay, like that, that to me is a clear, it's just a clear indication of you don't want to, right. I, I, if, if I can not make this mistake or if someone will pay me to make it for me, um, I'm totally willing to do that. Right. Um, and so I, I actually found like there were, there was a fair amount of, um, yeah, there was a fair amount of, of analysis in, in that draft that said that, you know, the, the class was bad. And I said, you know, I think the class is bad at the top. I said, but mm-hmm. really the second round, like, so I broke it down. I said, give me, let me just look at, at just NFL draft pedigree, just that. And look at, you know, who is above average for, um, you know, when does a player basically become an above average pick in that range? And so no one was an above average top three pick in terms of their pedigree. Um, there was two guys above average and um, f- picks four through six. And then, um, you know, five through t- uh, five through 12 were um, there was four. of them. So basically in the first round last year, there were six guys that were above average pedigree picks. Um, mm-hmm. There were 20 guys that would have been above average picks in the second round and so when you sort of look at that like okay well well that's that's if we can make our money there um and so and so i in multiple places last year i said i'm going to avoid doing the daryl henderson at 108 thing and like in a league i i i traded uh 108 for i think it was like 209 in a 2021st and the 2021st is 102. The 209 was Alexander Madison. And in DLF's ADP, they're going right next to each other. <laughs> and yeah. so that's, and essentially all I was doing was betting on profiles. I mean, they were the same profile. It's just a classic arbitrage. They said they're the same profiles. I'll, I'll take a free pick, essentially. Right. Yeah. Um, so I, I do a lot of that stuff. Um, you know, I, I, I look more at, you know, if I'm, if I'm sort of valuing picks, you know, let's, I think looking out a year in terms of like, hey, what might be coming on the pikes of, um, is valuable. But you know, just sort of knowing what, you know, knowing if you're if you're reaching this year is, I think, pretty valuable. Uh, and one thing that I looked at was just what's the random value of a future pick. And so I did some warp simulations, which is wins over replacement player. I said, what what's a truly a random pick? Uh, and so I I went through and I actually, um, you know, ran some regressions and looked at what the warp actually was for. Uh, for all the different picks in the first round and you know and then i did some twitter polling on it because i wanted to see sort of give me a what what the true fundamentals are and give me where the market is and let's see sort of Mm -hmm. where where we're at and what you'll notice is like a lot of a lot of players if you just randomly ask people you know well where would you value a random future first and you know the most common answer is is pick you know basically picks 106 or 107 like which would be right in the middle of the first round um, mm-hmm. because that is where, you know, the middle of the, the first round would fall. People say, well, I'll value it there. What you actually see when you look at, when you look at the picks and sort of look how they're dispersed in terms of their value, um, the, the, it's closer. It's a lot closer to one Oh five. And it's because the, the warp, what you'll see is like guys up at the top. So your Barclays, your Saquon, uh, your Saquon Barclays, your Zeke Elliott's, you know, Mm -hmm. um, last year with Jacobs, you know, this year, you know, we'll see who it is, but you know, those guys up at the real, real top, they, the gap from like one to two is a lot bigger than the gap from like 11 to 12, right? Because like in the later part of the round, you'll get, it'll be really flat, but there's a big steep gap up at the top. And just think of what the difference to trade. I mean, you don't have to 
go any further than to think about what it would have cost to trade up from 102 to 101 to get Zeke or 102 oh, to yeah. 101 to get Barkley, right? That that's yeah. that's real. Um, and so when you sort of look at those, like yeah, all right, let's look at what they actually produce. That's that's really in play. And so you'll look in the the warp is you know is actually 13 percent higher than what the the average pick is in the round right it's 13 percent higher than that 106.5 where most people value that future pick and so yeah. like there's value there again that's not that's not huge but if you sort of think about that like hey if you say you know i i can you know think of 13 yeah, i can get a 13 percent edge like let's add that up a few times and keep doing that right. and then what i also noticed was i said well let's i wonder if there's like some some bias in, in how people value their own picks, right? Is there, you know, what, what do people think about the picks that they're actually trading away? And so I just went to uh, one of my drafts that I was in and I said, you know, I just pulled everyone and I got 10 responses. And I said, what's, what do you think your odds to win the championship in year one are? The average odds to win um, that the 10 people gave me, 22.6%. When you extrapolate that out to a 12 team leagues and just sort of average it out, um, mm-hmm. 271% chance, right? There's only one championship, <laughs> right? There's only one yeah. championship. Um, so something to add up here. Yeah. So that, so that's a lot more confident. So what, what you're noticing is a, not only are picks more valuable than the random pick, you know, the random pick mantra, you're probably getting a discount too, because people are, are thinking, well, mine will be a playoff first. Right. Mm-hmm. And my mine's gonna be, you know, mine will be later. So you're sort of you're capturing you're capturing both that and you're capturing the the upside of it. And and honestly, like the difference between having, you know, one eleven or one twelve isn't that big. The difference between having, you know, if you get a shot in the top six, right? If you I mean if oh, you, you hold on to that. If you get a top, if you can get a future if you can get a future first that is not a playoff first, uh, that's that's a that's usually a top fifty pick. Uh, mm-hmm. historically and so um and and honestly what i did too is i looked at like some i looked at the the allocation of teams and you'll see a lot of teams are right in the middle in terms of you know you'll get your handful of teams that are really really good and you'll get your handful of teams that are really really bad but you get a you know like eight teams are, are relative are usually pretty close in terms of vying for three four five um playoff spots and so mm-hmm. a team that is you know is a, a five and eight team that runs bad right is is pretty close to the playoffs but that's a top six pick right and and uh, a seven and six team that has run good has gotten lucky might get in mm-hmm. and be worse and so like there's a lot of uncertainty in that so when people really peg themselves to saying oh i'm not going to you know i'm going to be a i'm going to be a pick i mean i can give you a or i'm going to be a playoff team like i can give you some good examples of teams that have featured saquon barkley and joe mixon and kamara and Evan Ingram and Juju and Devontae Adams last year that didn't make the playoffs. And that hurts. I mean, I, you know, I had that in the league and there were people making trades to try and compete with me last year. I didn't make the playoffs. And mm-hmm. so like there, there is that too. And so there's so it's a game that we don't really control. And I think sort of embracing that variance, right. Embracing the fact that, that there's, there is downside. And especially when people are overconfident, which is, which is, very common. That happens a lot. Yeah, and and the my favorite thing that I found in this entire book from from um from from my research was I found a study, and it was in it was in Europe, and the uh, they they pulled drivers, and eighty percent of drivers said that they were above average, um, and if you sort of looked at the drivers that were uh, that were above average, or that said they were above average, it didn't change whether or not they had gotten an accident before. 
Oh, wow. Right? Those people argued the exact same. They said the exact yeah. same thing, right? <laughs> but that, that they were, that it didn't change. And like, they're, yeah. they're objectively worse drivers, right? Like they had gotten in an accident yeah. before. Um, actually, I take that back. I understated it. 93% of drivers said they were about that. <laughs> Even worse. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I, I misspoke when I said 80, 93%. Um, and just think about like what that confidence, like what that confidence is, you know, you, you're overvaluing or you're, you're essentially undervaluing your pick because, mm-hmm. and there's so much that you can't control that goes into it, injuries and suspensions and all that stuff, holdouts, all right. that, you know, random luck, even when you sort of play a hold, you know, you can just get, you can run a couple wins unlucky and not make the playoffs. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so all that stuff, like, I, I think all of those things sort of add up to the fact that rookie picks are probably undervalued in terms of just trading for future ones. The question is, is you got to be careful about what you're trading for them. Right. So like, do I, would I trade, you know, that's where the, I have sort of the, you know, people say, oh, you know, look at people overvaluing rookie picks. Um, you know, when you're trading Julio Jones for 110, like that's like, don't no. Like I, yes, the, the rookie picks overvalued. You're, you're trading Julio Jones at a, at a loss. Um, yeah. But, but I think just the, you know, the, when you sort of look at where they fall in drafts and those sorts of things. And if you just were to plug rookie picks in the startup drafts where they fall, um, historically they've been undervalued, uh, and they're undervalued and it speaks to me that they're actually undervalued by the market and sort of practice too. Wow. I mean, just, I had no idea like how, I guess how differently we look at, like we as like the, the Royal, we as the, like the mm-hmm. dynasty community look at, like look at rookie picks and like, and their value as compared to, I guess what you could actually get like out on the market and what that edge is. So it's something I'm going to have to apply to, I guess my teams is as much as possible, but uh, Jordan, I mean, thank you so much for your time tonight, man. I mean, uh, it's just anytime that uh, I've gotten a chance to read through some of your work or even just like the couple of times we had a chance to sit down and talk, it's just been enlightening uh, anytime. So again, appreciate your time. But uh, before we uh, get you on out of here tonight, uh, like have, give you another chance to, to plug the book or any other work that you got coming on for the folks to take a look at, like during this off season, uh, the floor is yours, man. Oh, thanks, man. I really appreciate coming on here. It's always a good conversation and uh, get geeky on, you know, European um, psychological Drivers studies. And so, yeah, it's good. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you can find the book at analyticsofdynasty.com slash shop. Like I said, there's a lot of these strategies in there. A lot of, um, you know, there's a lot of super flex bend to this book too, uh, in terms of a lot of different things I looked at at quarterback. Um, you know, there's still, you know, there's value at quarterback this year. And I have a lot of different ways to look at it in the in the book. And you can sort of see that um, through the work there. So you can find it at analyticsofdynasty.com slash shop. If, and listen, if you're newer to Dynasty or you don't play a lot of Superflex or you want, you know, hey, I, I, I want to jump into my first Dynasty League or, hey, you know, I need to tune up. I had a bad 2019. Like those things happen. I have the 2019 edition on sale for 20 bucks. And and honestly, it's still all relevant. Like it's it's not... My books aren't written as like a one-year, um, you know, preview guide. It's not like the magazine or something that you would get and pick up and just say, "Oh, this is what to do for 2019." They're uh, they're they're strategy books designed to sort of help you long term, and the 2019 edition will take you through the whole, you know, beginning to end. Um, it's more of the, the the entire dynasty story with with uh, a lot of different topics: startup drafts, rookie drafts. You know, age is a big thing in that book. Um, mm, and so that's yeah. all still applicable. Um, and, and so I, you can actually get them both for 50. Uh, so I have, a, I have those packages. So the 2020 edition is more, it's a little bit more topical in terms of application. Um, I also have the analytics of dynasty podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Um, 
I have, uh, I have some, uh, I have, I did 10 episodes by myself. Um, but I have some people I want to talk to. So, uh, getting them to come on my podcast is actually one of the more interesting, intriguing ways to get them to come and talk to me about some of these things. Sure. So, um, and so, and then I actually have my Patreon channel. So I, um, I love that. I actually, uh, I struggle with the concept of dynasty rankings quite a bit. Um, just because I think they're, they're static points and it, it's tough to really, uh, convey the information that you need to convey in rankings and and sort of a static you know this wide receiver is wide receiver 23 or whatever um so i do something called dynasty tiers which is looking at a lot of the base rates um it's something that i looked at deep in the book is like you know what if you don't know if a player hasn't hit yet you know what's their pedigree tell you what is their um you know, what is their pedigree? What is their experience? What does that imply about what their hit rates are? Um, and then I also, I flip that on its head and for the guys that have hit, what's their hit rate of hitting again? And I sort of look at those things in my dynasty tiers. I have all that on Patreon. I I'm recording podcasts there. Um, a lot like it's been going on for about two months now and i just i just keep recording podcasts it's pretty fun like just the ability to flip something flip the recording on and for like 10 minutes talk about that so you can start for as little as four dollars and i've got you know the dynasty tiers and then i've got um my uh my group me as well there's some different pricing stuff in there but you can find that all at patreon.com slash analytics of dynasty um and you know i'll probably you know i might even flip you know once we get off i'll flip on the recorder and churn something out tonight so it'll be it'll be good Awesome, man. That, and that's uh, so much content that I know that folks that are not in the way you make it sound. It's not just for people that are getting into Dynasty. It's people that have been doing it for a while that can find something of use. I mean, that can give them some sort of strategic edge over over their league mates. So it doesn't matter how deep you think you may have gone into Dynasty. It looks like Jordan has kind of like taken it to the next level or at least thought about <laughs> it and might have already rambled on it on his podcast. <laughs> so definitely go ahead ahead and take a look or go check him out like over on patreon go get a if you have a chance go out and buy the book definitely support him and his endeavors so we're definitely uh i i'll be purchasing a book myself because i i need to, to kind of read through this stuff myself because yeah i think understanding the strategy behind it and because i'm, I'm also analytically inclined i think it would be very useful to kind of see that process and see how you can i guess take value or learn how you can value some of these picks and moving forward. So I'm definitely interested to take a look at what you've got. But again, thanks again for your time. And we thank everybody else listening at home for taking the time to to listen to us. And uh, thank you again for coming out and checking us out. And we'll catch you all next week. 101 pick when it hits you feel no pain. Praying for the fantasy championship. Hit the books, kid. Read this pamphlet called the Dynasty Owner's Manual. It's automatic, D- dynasty, it, it's automatic, owner's manual, it, it, it's automatic, D- dynasty, it, it's automatic.